Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Silent Giants is brought to you by Ali. Ali, powered by Verizon locations, are developed by Verizon, the world's leading technology company. In collaboration with Ally, a membership-only community workspace for creators, each location is a community curated and powered by the emerging technologies and thought leadership of Verizon. With Ally, Verizon is bridging the gap between startup and corporation by helping the community workspace build next-level ecosystems with entrepreneurs. And now, on to my interview with Brian Johnston. And I hit him back. I said, here's Mike, I thought about it on the plane. This is what I should have said to you. And... He hits me back. He says, holy shit, can you come out tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Uh, yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music, let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they move, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. <laughs> Pod bless everybody and welcome back to another episode of Silent Giants, a podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to follow us on Instagram at, at Silent Giants Podcast. To keep up with my life, music, and more, be sure to follow me as well at, at Corey Cambridge. Our silent giant this episode is Brian Johnston, Senior Director of A&R at Atlantic Records. In this interview, I headed over to meet Brian at the Atlantic Records office, and we got to bond over both being from Virginia, his early love for music, how he became an A&R, he explains the mistakes artists make along the way, and so much more. So, without further ado, let me introduce you to the Senior Director of A&R at Atlantic Records, my friend, the silent giant, Brian Johnston. What's up, Brian? Hey, man. How you doing? Dude, life is good. It feels nice to be here in the uh, Atlantic offices. That's some, that's some nice digs around here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Led Zeppelin kept these lights on for a long time, and Bruno Mars did a couple other people. Cardi now? Yep. She contributes yeah, to the she, she contributes. electricity bill. Yeah. I, I was watching her show on uh, her Netflix show. Oh, I, I haven't caught that one yet. It's, it's pretty good. What's it called again? It's called like fl- Flow, Rhythm and Flow. Rhythm okay. and flow, some of that. A little flip on hustle and flow. Yeah, bit. a little flip on that. Yeah, because it's got my my tongue on messed up, but it's amazing. It's a really good show. It's like she just scours for talent, isn't that how it works? Yeah, it's like a it's like American Idol on like steroids. Gotcha. I heard there was like kind of established artists on the show. Huge. I mean, I, I was very impressed with the guests that they had on. They had like. Uh, oh, I meant like trying out for the show. Oh, I was listening. I think on my, on my Spotify account right now, like when Danelle, like met, me and him met up earlier, on my phone, I had the the winner of the contest. Like oh, I was that's playing right. his music. Gotcha. He's really, really talented. His name mm. is uh, D, D something. 
I can't think of his name right now. But it was like really, really good. Oh, dope. Phenomenal. We'll and check it out. We'll have like a viewing party at your crib. Okay, cool. <laughs> Let's go. Where are you from? I'm from Virginia. Originally. Where? Uh, Newport News, Virginia. 757? That's it. Where, what high school did you go to? Denby High School. All right. Are you from Virginia? Yeah. Oh, shit. Whereabouts? Richmond. 804. Okay, cool. The 804. Oh, oh, come on, boy. Wait, wait, wait. Fist it's... City. Wait, what? Fist City, we used to call it. Oh, it makes sense. <laughs> a lot of fists were thrown. Right. I used to go up there. I used to go up to Richmond a lot. I was super into like punk and hardcore stuff. And <clears throat> the the Are you in the Guar? And like Lamb of God and all that? Um a buddy of mine used to live with the drummer from Guar. And I'm not into Guar or Lamb of God, but I think Guar is hilarious. I think their social commentary is hilarious. Um, but it's musically it's cool. But Lamb of God, not so much, but there's some really good punk and hardcore came out of Richmond and used to go up to, you know, like Twisters back in the day. And then it turned into Nancy Reagan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, there was... There's like not, Alley Cats. Yep, Alley Cats. Yeah, I used to do shows at Alley Cats. Okay, cool. That yeah. Was, that was the jam. Yeah, I, pl- I, I played a couple shows at Alley Cats. But, man, it's been, it's been a long time <clears throat> since I've been to Richmond. Yo, you got to go back. Dude, that's like... They have a scene there that's just unbelievable it's not being talked about it's almost like an austin in a way it's yeah i mean richmond's always it's it's maybe it's because i'm from virginia it's always been the the place kids from newport news one of the cities they moved to it's so i don't think of it as like somewhere i want to go is it oddly but it's definitely like the most tattooed city in america oh no it is i think it's like they're on like a country in asia Really? <laughs> in that's the world. amazing. Like everybody. Dude, I can't believe I left without one. I can't believe it. Oh wow. That's rare. Like, yeah. Everybody's sleeve there. I, I, everybody has a tattoo. Not just like a tattoo. Everyone's sleeve there. They're no, we used covered. to call them land pirates. Mm. Yeah. Everyone was like tattooed up like a pirate, bro. That sounds about right. Yeah. But Richmond, I, I think that like okay. I think this comes back to like a, a why I'm so grateful to live in, to be from Virginia. There's so many t- different types of brands of music coming out of Virginia. Mm. Whether it's like Dave Matthews Band coming out of Charlottesville, or like Pharrell and Timberlake coming out of the beach, or right. whether it's you know D'Angelo coming out of Richmond. There's so many different vibes in that one state, and I feel like we're almost get overlooked, like in a, in a way for what we contribute to music. Uh, I mean, there's been a lot of great creatives that have come out of Virginia. Um, you know, even like that. What's that kid, uh, Nick Mirror, right now, who's doing extremely well he's from virginia um i maybe i'm from there so i'm not i'm thinking about it so i don't ever i don't think we're overlooked um i mean we haven't had a lot of prolific rappers come out of there um it did matt skills sure he was on atlantic too he was an atlantic artist was he really he was yeah i didn't realize that adam, adam on silent giants i'm on the show he's who's he married to right now he's married to Esther Dean, isn't he? A great songwriter. Oh, is he really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's that's. Hope they have children. <laughs> we'll sign them. Let's let's sign them immediately. I, out the womb. They're like baby Lebrons. <laughs> no, but you're absolutely right. Virginia is a bit of this. It's it's like the, it's like the bottom of the north. It's the top of the south. It's just kind of this place that people exist. Particularly, I guess where I'm from is high, it's just military town. So it's just. You're getting a mix of everybody. They're all showing up with different ideas about music. And, you know, and you get a kind of the pinnacle of, you know, like Tim and Neptunes. Yeah. I mean, they're very different sonically, 
but they're both making great, <clears throat> great music. Like, you like listening to Neptunes, and the first time you heard a Neptunes beat, you're like, what? Like, what just happened here? Because it's, those chords are not short church chords. And you know that guy who's playing those chords didn't grow up in the church. That chord progression is just different. And then you come to find out it's a Filipino dude. And you're like, oh, okay, I get it. So just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There hasn't been a whole lot of new, new, new Virginia people that I'm thinking of. Masego, he's from Newport News. Drum, but he's been out Drum, for a while. Yeah, yeah. But Richmond has some has some cats, bro. You have to check out his name, Fly Anakin. Okay, I'm not familiar. Whoa. Fly Anakin's dope. Nicolette is dope. Uh, Mike Millions is dope. They, they have a whole collective, like a whole crew. How uh, I always say on the podcast, there's um, two things that I think develop great people. Um and that success is not just some a successful person is not just some random person or an apple plucked off of a tree, right? It was groomed. It was it was developed. Um, and I think there's two things that really make that happen. I think it's your parents and who your parental figures were, um, and then I think it's the uh, the environment by which you're from. Um, so, how did Virginia shape you and shape your taste in music? And also, what did your parents do, and how did they have an influence of you being where you are today? Um, so my parents are immigrants. They moved here from England and Ireland and, uh, they, you know, they didn't know anybody that story. So I was born in, I was born in Virginia. My sister was born in Virginia. And I mean, I didn't grow up in a particularly musical household, but my parents liked music. It was just there, you know, I'd, <clears throat> I'd wake up Saturday morning, excuse me, and my mom would be playing, I don't know, Jimmy Buffett or, or, uh, you know, Fleetwood Mac or, or, um, some reggae box set or art of noise. And then my dad would drive me to soccer practice and we'd be listening to Tina Turner or in excess or Rolling Stones. So it wasn't particularly, I didn't grow up in a, in a house set. Like, um, I mean, there were good classic songs and albums, but I didn't grow up in a, in a house that was like particularly, I wasn't, there was no R and B in my house. Other than my mom did list like Luther Vandross though. Oh, Luther boy. But there wasn't mm. really like a prolifically like R&B house or anything like that. But I don't know where music started, where the moment I was like, yeah, I like music. I don't really have a moment of that. I used to just really enjoy listening to the radio, the top 88. I'd record it all the time, make my mom listen to it in the car. It was, it was usually normally rap at that point. Um, but I had this obsession with punk and hardcore and rap and really just anything under the sun that just spoke to me. I didn't really have like a genre so much and I really wanted to play drums. So I fell, I fell into falling, playing drums, but I don't know if I have like, I don't think Virginia shaped me so much as just the people that were around me. Um, you know, I got into punk and hardcore because this kid, Matt Merrill, I looked up to. I thought he was the coolest kid ever. And this was like, geez, what grade? Sixth grade, maybe. And he used to skate at the school by my house. And he'd listen to like Gorilla Biscuits in seven seconds. And I, I, I didn't know if it was good or not. I was like, yeah, this is cool. So what am I doing? I'm buying Gorilla Biscuit shirts and listening to Gorilla Biscuits. And then it, it just clicked for me. Um, so, hey. <laughs> no, it's all That's good. Um, 
so yeah, it just kind of kept going and um I don't want to say it was something like I stayed in my room and listened to music and it's just music was just always there. My friends were into music. We'd start bands that would never do anything. Um, I got really into drum line and drum corps. Um, but just, it's just kind of always been there. I have life experiences attached to it. Um, that's, that's really, I guess my relationship. I'm sure there's much more to that story. I'm not thinking about, um, but yeah, yeah, I guess. I don't the, know. What what was the dream? Uh, I know as we evolve as people, our dreams shape differently. Um, hmm. What was your dream early on of how you saw yourself playing a role in music? I, I didn't. I, I had, you know, I didn't think that was possible. I just, I didn't think there was an opportunity to play in music, like to make a living. It just never clicked for me, whether it was even being a creative or, you know, being in some other capacity, whether it's, you know, a label side or a manager. I had no idea what any of that was. I didn't, I was really into soccer and I was a very competitive soccer player and I was playing, you know, on travel teams. I was um, all through high school, I was getting scouted by teams. You know, I got a soccer scholarship to play soccer. And so in my head, it's like soccer, soccer, soccer. And then as I get to college and I'm playing college soccer, I'm like, man, everybody's good. I was like, I'm not playing pro soccer. Like, and then I get hurt, which was a blessing. I was like, all right. So I'm sitting on the sideline. I'm like, you know, I got to get out of here. And transferred schools. And um, I, I wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to get into TV and film production, mainly film production. And I wanted to shoot music videos. That was like my idea of making it. And this is like 2000, 2001 or something. And... Um, that, I guess that's my version of the music industry. So I, I, I never once thought about you, there was an opportunity for a position, a job. You can make a living. I loved it. Always came back to music. But, yeah, I didn't know anybody in the music industry. I guess that as well. Where I'm from in Virginia, I didn't know anyone. So it's, it's I could look to my left or right and see anything that looked remotely like that. Hell no. You know what, Brian, too? I, I, I think about the other day. Of like moving to New York felt like going to Mars. You know what I mean? Like the fact that like when I would watch TRL, yeah. like in high school or middle school, that like that felt so far away. Like it didn't feel like an industry. It felt like I was reporting that they were coming from Mars and NSYNC is there. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like Times Square is this almost like invisible place. Mm. And I think that's the one challenge that I feel like coming from a town that's not New York City or not LA or not Atlanta, not a major market is that connection like mm -hmm. it's hard to see yourself that's why i always ask the question like what do your parents do because yeah. it, to me it kind of spawns back to that's how you see people get paper that's how you see people get mm. their hustle on yeah you're going to probably imitate the way you saw your parents getting their hustle on sure you know my dad was a uh he's a mechanic he was a mechanic and he didn't want me falling in love with cars he wanted me to stay far away from him he didn't want me to live that life that he was living uh so he would make me avoid cars and didn't want me to learn anything to do with cars, uh, which I respect. And then my mother was a nurse, so she was an RN. And, yeah, nothing nothing creative. They just enjoyed music. That was it. Uh, how did your career uh, start in music? What was, like, that, that, that big step from not knowing anything about you being able to work in music at all to yeah. you becoming 
a part of the industry? How did that happen? Um, so the super cliff notes version would be, um, so I was working in the film industry. I was living in North Carolina. Um, I was doing what's called grip electric. I was working on TV shows, big, stupid movies, HBO shows. So I'm just running around the, the South, the mid, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, mainly. Um, and in between these movies, I would shoot music videos because it was just a hobby, something I enjoyed. I'd make a bit of money. Um, and during that time, I met a lot of um, artists, managers in that space, and I just kind of made friends with them. And we just stayed in touch, and I'd spend time around them. And during that time, you know, we would discuss music. And during those conversations, uh, I would be putting them on to new new material we would discuss songwriting just anything and a couple times they would be like hey man you should you should be in it you should look into a and r you should do a and r work and it was a passive thing in my i was like oh okay sure i didn't know what that was and then it happened again and uh i was like man a and r and i googled it i go what is a and r what is that and i was like oh shit that's a job that's cool and it still was like no, that there's no way. I know nobody. Um, I'm getting out of a relationship with a girl, and I'm like, man, I need to change a pace. You know, like you think your life's falling apart. You know, like, oh, I need changes. So I Google what's an A and R again, or how do you be an A and R? And that kind of started this weird process of me. Figuring out what that looked like um, from Greensboro, North Carolina. And um, I just started reaching out to people. I knew nobody. I just Googled who A&Rs were. I'd find these lists of people. And I reached out to everybody and their brother under the sun. And no one would hit me back. Like I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then I did it again. And one time someone hit me back. And that person gave me an opportunity to have a conversation with them. And I kept that conversation going. And that led for me an opportunity in the, to consult, make my way in. And that guy was um, a guy named Mike Karen. Karen? Yeah, Mike Karen gave me. I didn't know who he was, what his position was. I had no idea. But he's the only person to have me back. And uh, I'm very grateful for that. And, yeah, he gave me an opportunity. We started a long conversation. And that turned into a consultancy and turned into a full-time position. I want to take it back to when that time you were with your friends and they were like, yo, yo, Brian, man, you should, you should be in this music industry thing. You'd be a great A&R. What was it? What was it about your gift that they noted and, and saw in you in particular? Was it like melody or, you know, what would be a, like, what was the qualifications that made them go, whoa, this is, you have a natural ear for this. Um, I'm not sure if there was one thing in particular. Um, I think it was a combination of, I just enjoyed digging and finding the new artist and a bit of pride in that. Like, oh, yeah, I was first. You know, as stupid as that sounds, um, I, I really enjoy that and thoroughly enjoy that. So it was a combination of that and then spending time at the studio with these guys just because I'm around. You know, we shoot a video or something like that. And I'd spend time around there and I'd be in the studio and I'd hear the discussions around the song making and 
the songs they decide they love and they don't. And I'm like, man, this song's trash. And I was like, what? And I would have a discussion. I'd be like, well, this song is, I think it's going to matter because of this, this, and this. And, and that, I guess, started as a, you know, a process. Cause I was in and out of really bad punk and hardcore bands and indie rock bands and playing shows. So I'm not saying I was super versed in songwriting, but um, you know, I'd written a bunch of records on the low um, for quite some time and toured and, so I could technically speak the, um, you know, to them, uh, the creatives in that space. Um, but I think it was just, maybe I, I think I just really had an ear for, um, what was going to cut through and matter to people. Now, you know, we're living, I'm assuming this is way back before, you know, the, everyone's has a, in the music industry has a Instagram, you know what I mean? Or you could just yeah. easily, now it, the, the, the barrier to connecting to people behind the scenes, um, is a little easier because of social media. Mm-hmm. But how are you able to show Mike Karen from where you are in Greensboro? Yeah. That you are qualified to talk. Like, what, was it a resume? Was it, like, did you send no, a playlist no. of songs? No. Like, how, how did you distinguish yourself as being a knowledgeable and talented person in this industry without being here? Sure. Yeah. Um, honestly, a bit of luck, I'm sure. But, um, I knew no one likes to read long paragraphs about anything. So I kept it real short and sweet. I think initially I said, Hey, my name's Brian Johnston. What's the process? I think it went something like this. Um, I asked about interning in the A&R department. What's that look like? How do, how do, how do I start that process to potentially be in that position? You know, some iteration of that. And I kept it real short and real sweet. And, um, he hit me back and we just started this kind of conversation. He asked me about, um, you know, he asked me about new artists and things of that space. And, you know, I spent a good 24 hours digging, you know, I wanted to hit him back cause I wanted him to feel like I cared. So I wanted to hit him back immediately cause I knew it's tough to build a relationship via, you know, an email. So I know timing was, was very necessary and, you know, you can't hear the inflection of my voice and how much I cared about something. You couldn't see my face. So I know I had to hit him back quickly. So I'd respond, said, okay, great. Give me, I said, I will be, I don't remember exactly what I said, something to the tune of, I will follow up immediately with my list. And uh, I sent him back some, some ideas on some artists. And he said, oh, this is great. This is awesome. And what happened after that? And then he asked me a couple other things. He said, let's keep this going. And no, excuse me. I apologize. He didn't respond for like two weeks. And in that two weeks, I had to go off and go to work on a movie in Savannah. So I'm in Savannah, Georgia, uh, working on a Miley Cyrus movie. (laughs) And um, I think I had a T-Mobile sidekick at the time, right? So I get get the instant messenger. Yeah, exactly. So I got the notification. I got an email. I'm like, cool. And I look at it and Mike said, he said, um, when can you, when can you do a FaceTime or when can you do uh, Skype or whatever it was at the time? I was like, shit, man, I could Skype tomorrow. So we have a, you know, we meet him, we Skype and he asked me, he's like, all right, let's, let's start the process of, you know. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips and adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. You know what this looks like. You know he wasn't going to pay me or anything. I was like, I was just super excited to have an opportunity, and that started up what would be a a couple months of back and forth, and and then at one point he said, actually during that first initial conversation he says, let me know when you're in L.A. and I never went to L.A. You know I'm like, oh yeah, cool, sure, I'm out there all the time, <laughs> right? I'd never been to L.A. I mean I'd been to L.A. but not for anything like that. And so I book a flight as soon as that movie in Savannah wrapped, stay at my friend Jolie's house on her couch. And I pulled up to Paramount Studios and met him in the lobby. And we had a good hour long conversation about music, songwriting, what makes a hit record. Um, he asked me questions I didn't think I was prepared for. And I flubbed my way through it. Things like, you know, what makes a hit record? Why is it a hit record? And I'd never really thought about this, you know, what comes behind a hit record like that. You know, I just knew. I was like, yeah, that's it. You know, this is why. Um, and I butchered my way through it. And Mike was like, he said, okay, great. Let's um, let's keep this conversation going. I really like your energy, so on and so forth. And then as I'm on the flight home the next day, I'm thinking, I was like, man, I, I messed that up. So I spent the next day just like listening to the top, hundred records and then like the top 20 records of the past 10 years. I just listened to them and I just made notes and thought about like, what, what was it in these records that mattered? Why did I respond to these records? What was the lyric? What was, was the pre-chorus this was, what, what was it? And I really literally spent about 48 hours just diving into that. And I hit him back. I said, here's Mike. I thought about on the plane. This is what I should have said to you. And he hits me back. He says, holy shit, can you come out tomorrow? So he flew me out back and I spent time, I spent about a week and a half with him in the studio while he's working on, you know, some TI projects and flow rider maybe at the time. So I spent a week with them and then I got a consultancy and spent three months. He said, all right, you got X amount of time to deliver a song for me. And in my head, I'm like, oh, that sounds so easy. And, you know, being in the now being in the industry almost 10 years now, I realized there's A&Rs in this, this industry have never delivered one record for any artist on their roster ever. So 
let's fall back to uh, 10 years ago. And I'm like, oh yeah, cool. That sounds so good. So easy. And um, so I had three months and in the first three weeks I got a record. I didn't think that was enough. I was like, okay, I got a record done for this one artist. Oh, uh, T I cut this now. T, uh, Flow Rider cut this. And I'm like, why? Uh, Mike's like, yeah, let's, you're hi- let's hire you. Let's do this. So he, he actually gave me a full-time consultancy at that point. And, uh, that's why I started working for Atlantic. Uh, I want to take a, a little back in the conversation. Cause you said that Mike asked you what makes a hit record and you kind of like, you know, thought you knew, but maybe looking in hindsight, didn't know. Well, it was probably a bit of nerves as well. You know, I, I really probably, I probably, I absolutely could have answered it better than I did then. But yes. What, what makes a hit record? Oh, um, I mean, a melody will make a hit record, but a melody with a lyric will make a classic, right? And across genres, there's different iterations of what a hit record is, right? Um, but that, in the most basic of terms, that's really, really what it is. Um, now, a country record doesn't need a melody necessarily; it just needs a great lyric. Um, um. Like there's things that I can tell you how to get to that place of a hit record. Things that have been, you know, these things over time have been the most, you know, have created the most success if these are incorporated in a record, you know, things of that nature. Um, But, you know, I guess my answer is my answer as far as a great melody with a lyric that matters that people respond to. First person emotional records seem to be the ones that win the most. But, you know, a pop hit record now is, is a very different space. So I had the pleasure of um, going back. Nice to sit down with you today here in Atlantic Records. And uh, recently I had the chance of interviewing um, a gentleman by the name of Jerry Greenberg. Jerry was the former president of Atlantic Records for 30 years. He signed ABBA to the label, he signed right. Chic. And now sure. Rogers to the label. He signed. Uh, oh man, he he did some big signings. Um, but in our conversation, I got, I was like, "Yo, Jerry, how did you become, you know, VP of like Atlantic? Like we were working at a radio station, right?" He says that, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but hits can make you a career. Hits make your career. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Luckily for me, I came into the Atlantic office. I picked a single. I took it to." The radio station back in Connecticut where I worked, and it's When a Man Loves a Woman by Percy Sledge. Mm. And that was the record that like sent him to like, okay, I, I'm in this for real. What is a signature record that you think of in your mind that set you apart and put your career on a different level, on a different trajectory? Hmm. Um, I think that's actually a personal problem of mine. I've never... <laughs> And my, my girlfriend would tell you the same thing, and my mother will probably say, tell you the same. I'm just not, I'm not sad. It's not saying I'm not satisfied, but um, when I get to one milestone, I'm like, ah, okay, cool, let's keep going. I mean, I've had records that have performed better than others, but I don't necessarily care about them. You know, I understand where they live in the marketplace, and you know, obviously they've they've helped me contribute uh, on uh, monetarily uh, to myself, but. Um, a record that I care about that I put together that made a difference in my life 
maybe it was the first Kevin Gates mixtape we put out. Because where I was career-wise, when I was around, I had Lupe records out. I had Flo Rider records out. I had, you know, B.O.B. songs out. Um, I had Ply's records out. But I, I didn't, no disrespect to those great artists. Uh, I just had no emotion. You know, I had no real attachment to those projects other than like, here's a song I put together, deliver it, they cut it. You know, there's some success behind it. Um, it gives me an opportunity to show up the next day, right? Uh, but I think the one that I, you know, connected with the most probably a couple years into my career was the this Luca Brasi mixtape for Kevin. That's probably it. Because I think um, my relationship I ended up having with Kevin and who he was and what he was going through personally and what I was also going through personally outside of the music industry at that time. And, um, and us just, you know, I guess that friendship we ended up making during that whole process, that's probably uh, outside of however I'm viewed within the building. That's just personally, I think that that really put a notch in my belt personally that I, uh, I really enjoyed this. I was like, yes, this is what I'm supposed to be here doing. Um, tell me about, you know, obviously, um, you've made an illustrious career in the music industry. You talk about you were hitting up Mike Karen with your, uh, what was it, T-Mobile Sidekick. <laughs> no, I, I think I hit him up on MySpace. It was either MySpace or Facebook had just really started. Uh, I think it was Facebook, actually. Okay, okay. I think it just started. So, like, that was technology and then, and now we're on the iPhone 11, you know what I mean, with the widescreen and all that. Um, how have you been able to um, keep your ear fresh? Like, is there, how do you keep your ear to the streets and what's new and, and not just forecasting where we are today, sure. but where music's going to be potentially in the next year? What, what keeps you sharp? Um, I mean, I listen to a lot of music. Um, I'm going to try and out-listen everybody. I will absolutely do that. I, I carve out X amount of time a day, you know, at least two hours to listen to um, records I've gotten sent to me, um, music I'm working on. And then I have to carve out time to listen to new, new artists, new songs, why people are listening to it, why they're responding to it. Um, and most of the time there's some things I feel like, man, I'm old. I feel old now. And then it goes away. I'm like, Oh yeah. I was like, kids, they, they care about it for this amount of time, but it doesn't stick around. And the ones that do stick around and they become acts the rest of the world care about, those are the ones I initially responded to. So I know I'm not wrong. Um, it, it's just, you really just got to like, just keep listening to music. I don't, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I wish there was something tangible you could say like, oh, you have to do this, that, and a third. But I think either ha you have the ear for it or you don't. And you need to maybe some guys need to push their pride aside and they they think this is the way it's supposed to be, but it will always be a young man's game. A particular, I mean, a, excuse me, a, 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 a young person's game, the uh, the rap and hip hop R&B space. It will always be that. Um, we hear a lot about like how artists can be signed, right? Like what's what, you know, what's so it's the recipe or. These are things you can do in your career to help you be more desirable to record labels. 
uh, if you want to be a signed artist. But what's the mistake that artists make once they're on, like a label that you find that you've seen throughout your career? You know, they did everything right to get the deal and they make great sure. music. But once they got signed, these these are common traits of how they fumble. Um, they just don't participate. Um, you know, they don't show up. They're not. They're not willing to put the work in. Uh, that's mainly what I'm what I see. Um, you know, they got over that initial hump and they, they expect it all just kind of, you know, come to them. Um, but really, um, the people who really do win in this game, they, they're, the re they're absolutely the ones who work the hardest. Uh, they stay recording. They stay, <clears throat> they stay on the road. Um, you know, it's a case by case basis. Um, for every artist, you know, some, some people don't want to play what they call the music industry games, you know, things associated with like rolling out an album. Um, but if they're able to do that, they're, they're kind of the, the ones that are cutting through the most. So, uh, their music can stand on their own. They don't need to do the dog and pony show so much. Um, but for the most part, it's really just work ethic. That's really what it is. Who embodies the greatest work ethic that you've seen in the music industry as an artist? Hmm. There's the thing is I see periods of people where they go through it. Like someone will someone will work hard for like a year. They'll go hard. They'll stay in the studio, and then they don't. They don't care anymore. Or they got it out of their system. They got the stories they needed to tell out of their system. Um. You know, there's actually a boogie. That guy works really hard. He uh, he's not the fastest writer in the world, but he's he's in the studio every night for at least almost twelve hours if he's if he's able to. Um, he records a lot. Um, he stays in the studio recording a lot. Um, he's not the most fond of um, interviews, um, uh, so maybe that's to a fault. But. Um, but as far as just behind the scenes work, uh, Eight Boogie works really hard. Um, actually, most artists, most most rappers on this roster that I've ever worked with in any capacity, they they you don't have to tell them to record. They do. They enjoy it. So I mean, it's pretty evident in the music. So yeah, Eight Boogie works extremely hard. Uh, so often we talk about the term "cut a record," "cut a record." That becomes like a common. Um, common phrase in the music industry vernacular but for fans who are not in the music industry what goes into cutting a record and making a hit record and what role do you play in that process sure are you talking about me convincing an artist to take an outside record or is it just the process sure, that, that, that's an interesting thing to talk about yeah what's that um sure when cutting a record is normally um some artists are 100 percenters, right? They do it all. They write the record. They find the producers. They just deliver the product to the company. Said, so here it is. Not a lot of those exist. Um, then there's the ones that, you know, you have to put the creatives in front of them. The producers say, hey, this is probably going to be, you know, it's a combination of me putting the best tracks in front of them and then me putting the best producers in the room for them that I feel that they're going to deliver the records they're not going to make on their own. So that's ultimately a job of an A&R. It's a combination of that and helping them deliver the songs that they're not going to write on their own or help them get to the best place possible to deliver those records. Um, 
and then there's other other artists that are they'll go off and make their album right they'll just go off and work and you'll you'll do an iteration of that you'll send them tracks you put the producers in the room and then you go off and you get the best songwriters best songwriters and best producers and you put them in rooms together you give them loads of direction um writing for this artist in mind uh you know here's some themes i want you to go dive into their socials i want you to dive into older records what were they saying how were they saying it so it's a combination of like um you know that and them working together and then you know hundreds and hundreds of songs get get cut uh by writers and producers that they try to deliver for an artist on the roster. And then, so it's a combination of me telling them, here's what needs work on this song. This is why it's not going to work for this artist or, Oh, this is an amazing melody, amazing phrasing, but I can beat the lyric. The lyric doesn't make sense for them or the artist will be able to make the lyric make sense for them. So whether it's changing a pronoun or just something they wouldn't say already, um, and so it's just the whole process of putting together a song, you know, and really understanding what's going to cut through, what is a hit song, why it's a hit, too many syllables in the pre-chorus, um, that melody's trash, it's it's not memorable, is this going to be interesting without word, I mean, without words, is this going to be interesting to people who don't speak English? Is this, you know, whatever it is, you know, there's a million little tricks of the trade behind that. And then, so I've got this great song. Maybe this artist needs convincing to cut the song. Maybe they don't take outside songs, but they really need to. It's about time they take an outside song. If they want to stay on the road for another two years, like you're going to make, you're going to deliver your core fan base song. Um, all you can do is offer it up. Like, look, do you, do you want to participate in this? But then a lot of artists are like, hell yeah, I want that. I'll take this. I'll cut this song. Um, so it's a combination of that. Um, that's what I think of when you say cut a song. Okay. So Brian, before I, uh, in this interview, um, you know, this question was spawned because I had the chance of going down to Florida and uh, meeting a gentleman by the name of Bruce Wedeen. Bruce Wedeen recorded all of Michael Jackson's you know, albums off the wall. Thriller, bad, dangerous. Everything you ever heard from Michael Jackson as a solo artist, he's hmm. been behind. I'm in his house. There's Grammys, there's plaques, there's pictures and autographs and mementos from uh, his amazing life journey. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking here in this interview, wow, you sacrificed a lot, bro. Like, this did not come, uh, everything you achieved did not come for free. It came with some element of sacrifice. It was the first time that I realized, wow, like what it like it takes something, uh, it takes a lot of sacrifice to be great and to be great in your profession. Um, what have you had to sacrifice to be great, to be good at what you do as an A and R? I don't know if it's sacrifice so much. Um, you know, I, I don't know how to answer this so much as to say. I think I'm stubborn. I don't know any better. I just keep doing it. Um, maybe I've sacrificed time with loved ones um, and a bit of my sanity sometimes, but I think that's probably my answer is, you know, um, yeah, spending time with loved ones probably in a relationship. That's probably it, but yeah, that's, I know it's probably not the sexiest answer, but 
No, very sexy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm the I'm the sexiest I know. But <laughs> no, that's probably it. And then maybe before I really got in the music industry, um, yeah, that's that's it. It's definitely time, time with loved ones. Brian Johnson, thank you so much for having me here at the <laughs> Atlantic you. office it. today. It feels so nice. Def- <laughs> I like these digs. Cool. Come back. And you remember, I really appreciate you. No, absolutely. Appreciate it, man. Take care. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of Silent Giants and to our special guest, Brian Johnston. This episode was mixed by Joshua Coleman. And are you a fan of Silent Giants? If so, leave us a five-star rating in the Apple app. Lastly, before we get out of here, check out my other show, OPP. OPP with Corey Cambridge highlights America's top podcasters and the dope shows they created. You can find OPP on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. God bless y'all. Till next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.